Yahweh, thank you again for the opportunity that you have given to me. You bless me with this day, bless me with this time, death, bless me with your teaching, your word, your guidance, so that I can share and bless others through the blessings that you bestow on me, Father God. Thank you for the opportunity to be your conduit, to share this with ever who has an ear to let them hear and listen and get to your word and seek your truth, knowledge, and wisdom. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Abba Yahweh. Aman. Yeshua Aman. Paraklitos Aman. So again, I'm going to share with you that word, Aman. That means praiseworthy. It's not, it's not the same as Amen, which means so be it or, or let it be. Um, Aman means praiseworthy. Abba Yahweh. My heavenly Father, maker of all things made, is most certainly praiseworthy. Jesus, our Savior, Redeemer, who came to this earth, manifest as man, and was placed on that Roman cross, crucified by the very ones that he came to take care of and to teach and to heal, but they rebuked him and the Holy Spirit, which is our comforter and our teacher. So some things been running through my head and the Holy Spirit was with me this morning and showing me. I, I love I love when he does what he does. But what's really, really profound and really love it when he just, in the waking hours, lying, thinking about God, and then doing my reading, and the reading goes specifically to something that's really important for specifically me. And I've shared with you, brothers and sisters, that you, you have to understand that in front of my face when I'm sharing things with you, I have this mirror, so when I'm speaking... It's for myself as well as anyone else out there that's hearing, but very important that you get to a Bible, get to the Word of God. If you don't have a Bible of your own, get to one, find one, and get in the Word and study His Word, His truth, His knowledge, and His wisdom, for that it is that business that I am about, His business. This isn't about me. This isn't to get all kinds of attaboys and... I'm going to remind you here and now just to sort of reinforce that, not that I really should have to, but sometimes there's those that want to get compelled, that are compelled to get that sort of thing because they grab onto things and they get so readily offended that there are individuals that you do podcasting and you get sponsors and all this sort of thing and you do commercials, you get paid for doing the podcast. My payment is blessings from my Lord, my God, that he has allowed me in this treasure house that I have gotten to go in there and walk around being escorted by an angel and be able to get in there and put my hands and rake off this, these blessings and put them in a basket and bring them out and share them with you. I don't get paid. This is my God's podcast. He found it. He directed me to it. He endorses it. He validates me. I don't need anyone's validation by getting paid for doing this. My payment is to be blessed by my Lord. My payment is to be able to share this word with anyone out there who is 
willing to put an ear and hear what I'm saying, listen to what I'm saying, and then go to the Word and get in there, or even better, take yourself to the throne of grace and pray that Jesus to come into your life, to change your life. Believe on him, have faith in God, and have the Holy Spirit to guide your steps. That's the greatest payoff right there. And then you're going to be an heir, joint heir in the kingdom of heaven. And when we get there, I'm going to know who you are. I don't know you now because I don't never met you. Some I may have. Uh, there are folks that listen that I know personally. But there are many more of you out there that I don't know. There are countries that have messaged me back that they're hearing this all the way where they are. And it takes at least a full day flying in a jet airplane to get to them. But they're hearing this word. So God's pronouncement over his podcast and allowing me to use this small tool in order to get his word and do his business and getting it that far. It would take so much to, for me to get able to do that. And it takes very little except to take and make an effort at doing so. It's really pretty awesome. So, this is something that I've shared with you numerous times before. I'm going to share it with you again because God brought it up to me because this is, um, you know, I'm praying about the things that are going on, but I already shared with you that I have, I have this really bad habit of, um, you know, I'll pray about it and then I want to try to continue working and figuring it out. So when you give God prayer... And I'm going to share this with you again because I saw this and I think it's a very valid message and something that is so true. But somehow we seem to corrupt it. We always seem to corrupt things we put our hands on. Here's the thing. God will take time to listen to those who take time to pray. So if you take a minute out of that really busy schedule of yours, it is so busy that you don't have time for God and you don't have time to do anything else and you don't have time to go to the Bible study. You don't have time to go to your life group. You don't have time to pick up the Bible. You don't have time to go to your children's special occasion, uh, you know, and that could be for a, a man or a woman. They can come up with a whole litany of excuses why they can't get to someplace. And nowadays, the way, well, the way it used to be, the men was the guy who's going to work and making money and all that. Nowadays, though, unfortunately, you have men and women that are both doing this thing. And, uh, whew, the Holy Spirit just put a pause on what I was going to, and we just changed direction because there's, um, wow. There's um, something that I need to do and kind of hesitate to do because of fear of offense. But you know what? I don't care because my validation comes from validation of my Lord, my God, 
And I don't care what any of you out there are thinking or doing, or if you don't listen to me, you have a choice to make. Just like you had a choice, God said in John 3.16, and God gave the words to him, whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ. John wrote it down. God gave him the word, and it's true. And then you have those perverts that get on stage and say, well, that's wrong because God is this and God is that. He made a mistake. We've been teaching it wrong. No, if you've been teaching it wrong, that's because you perverted it. You stirred it up and you made it into something that it wasn't. It's just like this, all this whole uh, rainbow thing going on. And there was a false deity that was uh, worshipped in Babylon. Um, make sure I get the name right. Makkah Ithar. Ithar. So she was the rainbow goddess or rainbow sorceress. And it was said that she could change appearances and things to, and become, or she could change. And she was an, an ultra pervert um, because she could manifest things that weren't there and cause the blindness and disruption through the rainbow. Now, here's the thing. Everything that God pronounces or gives as a blessing can be perverted, and Satan is at very adept at doing that. And the use of this rainbow, God gave the rainbow was a sign. It was a sign of his promise, but it's been perverted and changed to something else and dark. And it was said some other things. I'm not going to concentrate on this false deity in this this uh, goddess that was worshipped, but it was said that her eyes were rainbow and when, or like a kaleidoscope, and when you looked at her, she would entrance you to do or be or change your, and alter your perception, and, and it was very, uh, but she was worshipped. And you remember that we go back into Babylon and we will take a look at Daniel, we're going to take a look at uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who stayed true to God, one and only, the maker of all things made. They wouldn't worship the false deities. Now remember, when Israel was captured and taken into and, and made uh, slave labor and, and treated really badly, but Daniel, who they attempted to rename Bapashazar, which was the name of a lesser Babylonian god. And then you had Hananiah, Mishael, Anzariah, who were, those were their Hebrew names. And those names were taken from them. And they were given the name Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, which were also names of uh, lesser deities in the Babylonian religions. And they tried to rename them, but they renounced those names and they stayed true to their Hebrew names. You know, if people came looking for them, I mean, they didn't make a big old stink and all that, but uh, on occasion they wouldn't respond because they weren't talking to them. They were talking to these false deities. And I bring that up because you see that they renounced the false deities, but there are people this day that are worshiping that Babylonian deity that is able to change 
appearances or they believe to change appearances and to alter them, to alter their natural state of being and to make them something that they are not. And the sign of that false deity is being the rainbow. That's because she was called the rainbow sorceress. Take a look around. Remember this, brothers and sisters, I speak the truth and I speak the word coming from God and only from God, and this isn't about me. Here's what we need to do. We need to stay in prayer. Prayer can change things, but you know, we're up against, a, some might say it's an uphill battle, but Believe me, in everything that we're, this is why we wear that armor. This is why we wear the helmet of our salvation, the breastplate of our righteousness, and, the, and carry the shield of faith and the sword of truth. And not to go in there swinging around and whacking people and being confrontational, but to share the truth, to pray and be faithful in that. Some things that... Um, I'm going to share this scripture with you that um, this is in Isaiah 30. And this is what we really need to do, especially in this day when this thing is becoming so prominent. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. What does that mean? Be still, wait upon the Lord, focus on God, and take that time to be quiet and be in him. It's important. Uh, Further, to be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and ye would not, but ye said no, for we will flee upon horses. Therefore shall ye flee. And we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. And just like um, David talks about in his poems, and we see in the psalm, that we have a tendency to run away from what we should be running to. So, what is Isaiah saying? Isaiah saying, no, we're, we're not going to do that because we got we to gotta get out of here. We got to hightail it. We got to make a run for the hills. We got to run for the hills. So when you do that, what's it say? Therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. You're going to make a run for it. What, you think because you're running for it, you're going to outrun them and you're going to be someplace and they're not going to catch up to you? They're going to be swift as well. And they might have a faster horse than you. Maybe their chariot's not as heavy as you thought it was. Maybe their chariot's a lot faster than you thought it was. What if, what if, what if, what if? Here we go again. Even if, even if, even if. Lord God is our tower. He is our strength. And that is what we need to be sure in. That he makes that our defense and our bulwark that's talked about in the scripture, that means a fortified wall or pushed up against to fortify the city, the bulwarks. 
So we have a tendency to run away from that very thing we should be running to. So I'm taking a moment here to uh, look this up to make sure that we have a have an understanding of this. I'd like to make sure that things are clear. So bulwark, B-U-L-W-A-R-K, is a wall of earth or other material that's built up for a defense. So that's what it talks about in the word. It talks about our faith in God. He is our stronghold. And he used that to push up as our bulwark, our protection, our defensive surround. And he surrounds us with that. And he surrounds us with his love and his strength. And he protects us. And don't misunderstand by the white noise interference that Satan loves to put into our thought process through his minions and that we put in these foundations of lies and deceit and we allow those stones to be made up because then it takes, it doesn't allow for the penetration of that and we're basically pushing the spirit of the Lord out and putting those that stonework up on our inner heart that those are, but God can also, his strength, his faith in him, those stones can be pulled down those strongholds that Satan tries to build in our hearts can be pulled down. Those foundational stones will not be allowed to be built up and become something that are not meant to be. It's important that we take the time there. There were some things that the Holy Spirit and I were talking about this morning. And we need to be, here's another new word for you today. I'm going to share with you, and I'm also going to share the definition so it's clarified. I'm not just going to throw something at you and then leave you out there floundering, not being able to figure out what it means or be able to look it up. We need to be much more pragmatic in what we do. And what that means is that we, uh, pragmatism or, or the practice of pragmatism, we need to be much more pragmatic that is uh, of or relating to a practical point of view for practical consideration. And what would that be? Well, lo and behold, I'm going to share that with you. We need to be much more pragmatic about our walk, our faith, and prayer. The Bible talks about this. We pray before, during, and after, not just after saying, oh, thank you, God, for making this all goody-goody and better-better and that I don't have to do anything. Well, it doesn't work that way because the Bible said that there will be times that come against us and Jesus taught that to us. God tells us that. Paul talks about it. This world is a broken place. God knows that it's broken, but God has provided the tools for us in the word of God, his word, the Bible, his gospel, front to back, back to front, regula fidele, follow the rule of faith and read through this thing and keep this handy and stay in the word. He's provided that. The Holy Spirit has come for us, provides guidance and teaching for us. 
so that we can be practical and be practical in prayer and that you go out and you say, as Moses did when he encountered first the angel at the burning bush and saw that the bush was not consumed by the fire that was all over it. And then he heard the voice of God. And God wanted to send him back to Egypt. What did Moses do? He gave him a whole list of why he couldn't do it. Well, you know, I got this cleft lip and I got this bum leg and I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this and I can't do that. When, of course, God was sitting back there and just kind of stroked his beard for a minute. Of course, I'm making that up because I didn't see it happening, but I can just imagine it was happening and, and God taking that very knowing posture or sitting back and letting him go ahead and, and run his mouth. Let him go ahead and make all those excuses. And then he just leaned up and he looked at him. He goes, that's okay, Moses, because I have a solution. I can make that all great. Here's what's going to happen. God could have healed Moses immediately right there, but that wasn't fitting in. That wasn't fitting what the plan proposal. So what he told Moses is to show Moses the capability that he was still going to get Moses to do what he wanted him to do. He says, Moses, that's okay. You got that cleft palate. You got that game league. You got all these things that you got going on. But here's what we're going to do. You're going to take your brother Aaron with you. And Aaron's going to go back into Egypt with you, where I want you to go anyway. But he's much more eloquent in speech. He doesn't have that cleft palate. He doesn't have a lisp. He doesn't have a lisp. None of that stuff. And the only thing that you have to do, Moses, the only thing is carry the stick. That's all you got to do. Moses, uh, you just tell Aaron what I want him to do. And it better be exactly as I tell you. You tell him. Because if it's not exactly as I tell you, you tell him, then it's there's going to be some problems. You've already seen what I can do. Look at this bush that I'm talking to you from. It's not consumed, but it's on fire. It's on fire with holy fire. All you have to do, Moses, have faith in me, believe in me, believe what I tell you, and it's going to take place. You go and you do this thing. And Moses and his brother Aaron went off to Egypt. And as they say, the rest is history. And that, brothers and sisters, is just one of the phenomena. Another new word I'm sharing with you. This is just another one of the phenomena that we see. So what does that mean? So that's actually a biblical historical phenomenon that is now being referenced more and more by the, uh, in the study of antiquities, archaeologists, geologists, physiologists that study the physical atmosphere and geology, that these things are being recognized and they're actually reinforcing what I already knew to be true because it's the word of God and God is truthful and wouldn't lie. But now they're starting to recognize the phenomena that took place. So what is that phenomena? The phenomena is a um, it's a special thing. 
it is a an occurrence or a circumstance that takes place that is um, can be observed. It's extraordinary. It's observed or observable. So we need to be more pragmatic for that. And that is that we need to be more engaged with relating to that practical point of view that we have is that the Bible is truth. Everything that comes from the Bible is true. So we need to be more um, engaged in that. And the treating of that historical phenomena, which now is being, which of course we know because it's in the Bible and if you're a true believer, then everything in the Bible is truth and it's the word of God and, and truth and only truth. And this is why they used to say and have people swear in the Bible, which they don't anymore. They thought that that would be some kind of special thing, but then they found that that didn't do any good because people were still willing to perjure themselves. Just like there are those that claim to be true Christians and and uh, they think that swearing in the Bible or when they say, oh, I swear to God, well, they're actually contrary to the teaching and the tenets of God in the Bible. You, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God in vain. And what does that mean? That means to diminish the sovereignty of Lord God Almighty by reducing him to, oh, I swear to God, that's true. I swear to God, man, you should have seen how fast that car was. What, that now you're diminishing the sovereignty of the Lord God Almighty, the maker of all things, that he's going to reinforce your claim on how fast this car drives? Oh, please, come on, brothers and sisters. And when I was younger, I used to, you know, try to reinforce what I told somebody. But that's not, that's vanity in the name of God. Thou shalt not take thy Lord thy God's name in vain. And that isn't just a cure. Cursory attribute, brothers and sisters, that just doesn't mean that you turn God's name into a curse word. There's a lot of people that think that's what that means. That's not what it means. You don't want to do that either. But what that means when you take his name in vain is that you're reducing the sovereignty of the Lord God Almighty, the Heavenly Father, the maker of all things made, or Jesus, when he manifested himself in that form and came down and was crucified, for our sake, and people will use that name as a direct cursory expletive. That's taking the Lord's name in vain in a very egregious manner. But when you just say things like, and you use that to reinforce what you're saying, and the Bible tells us that you don't use, you don't you don't use the name of God that way. And you don't swear on heaven that way because that's his throne, that's his, that's his kingdom. That's going to be our kingdom. So what, you want to reduce the import and the validation of our heavenly home to that thing just to reinforce something said? We need to be much more pragmatic in, in what we do and say relating to the Bible. And in that practical point of view of prayer, and the Bible tells us that. It talks to us about prayer. Prayer before you go into anything, pray during whatever you're in, and pray after whatever you're in. And brothers and sisters, I'm sharing with you again, I have this 
thing that's going on that I'm right smack in the middle of. But you know what? I'm not going to get all caught up and worried about it. I just had delivered a whole bunch of new paperwork that I'm supposed to resubmit to these folks that were supposed to be taking care of me. But it's an organization that is based from Memon. And they failed miserably to do so. So now I'm kind of in the midst of this thing that's going on. But I'm not going to be afraid of it. And I'm not going to be doing any of this planning about what to do. And what the, <laughs> this is really awesome. I love this. But we need to be, and we need to understand the, the uh, so there's, there's a whole lot of really great, I learned these words and I'm sharing them and I want to make sure that it's clear. So we need to be more pragmatic. And that is just that we uh, study and we relate, we understand uh, that our practical point of view in that the Bible is truth because our faith tells us that. We share that. We share the the point of view that prayer is necessary. The Bible tells us that, that that is before, during, and after all things. And even when things, and, but many people, and even those that claim to be uh, Christian, self-proclaimed, and those that don't go to Bible study or study any of this or study the Word of God, the only time that they seem to pray about anything is if they're coerced into going to God's house by their spouse or their children, and that happens. They don't just don't go, but they get coerced because of a special occasion The children want them to go, whatever. Doesn't matter. They just don't go, but now they're coerced into it. And then they do this little prayer thing once a year, once a quarter, whenever they do it. Paul tells us that we are to pray continually, continually, continuously in all things. John tells us that we try the spirit in all things. That's a prayer. And the bullet prayers that you shoot out there, I've shared that with you, that that goes to the Holy Spirit, the guidance and the strength and uprightness, and you get into a situation that you can't put out this prayer, that it's something really maybe frightful or, or right now happening, so you send out a bullet prayer. You shoot that prayer up, and those are fine because prayer posture is not required of God. Jesus told the woman at the well, And he told her, he said, there is coming a time, soon will come a time where you won't have to go to Jerusalem to get into this special, special, pretty, pretty, painted, painted, beautiful, beautiful synagogue to worship God. And see, the Samaritans are not allowed to go there because I've shared this with you before. They got at odds with their cousins and they have a family thing going on. Kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys. If any of you have heard of that, millennials probably have never even heard of that. But that's a historical event that took place. And these people were actually related one to another. And they lived up in this little gulch up in the... Now I can't remember where that was. If it was down in the hills of Tennessee or Arkansas or up in the Appalachia, somewhere. Anyway, they were... They were killing each other. They were actually shooting each other and ambushing one another. But they were related for Pete's sake. And the whole thing came about because they had one of the daughters was interested in one of the young men. And anyway, it, it escalated in this big, long, huge thing. And and um, if I get it right historically, I may not. But it all came about for something that just naturally took place. And, and it, was, there was, it was actually an accident. But it went into this 
uh, went into this doggone battle and they continue going, but they were related, just like the Jews and the, and the Samaritans are actually related. But the Samaritans were not allowed to come into Jerusalem. They were alienated and ostracized. And they were not allowed to go to the synagogue in Jerusalem where many of them wanted to go because it was so pretty. It was all built up and all so beautiful. <clears throat> and the stone was all pretty and white. You can see it from when you were distant from Jerusalem. You could still look down and see it. But as Jesus taught to the Pharisees, he said, oh, you're so worried about what it looks like on the outside. You're not even concerned about what's going on on the inside because they didn't teach truth. They weren't teaching the word as the word spoke. They were teaching the word as they twisted it and decided to manipulate it and pervert the word, just like there are pastors that do that very thing today. And... The pragmatism that they practice is to the darkness. That that teaching the truth and the word of God is not practical to their point of view because it doesn't allow them to become filthy, stinking rich and steal from him and the congregation, which many of them do. That's their only motivation. Lying, stealing, and cheating. Where does that come from? That comes from their father, who they claim to be following the word of God, their heavenly father, and they can they even pray. They even recite scripture, and they even pray over the congregation. But brothers and sisters, their practice is that of their true father, Satan the devil. The Bible tells us that you cannot serve two masters. And they're, where their mindset is, is on that money. So that's where their heart is. It's not on the word of God. It's not on his truth. It's not on his promises. It's not even on the congregation. And they may practice things that make people believe that that's what they're doing, but it's not. They're motivated by only one thing and one thing only. Brothers and sisters, we still must pray for them. We still must pray for them. Pray for them because of that phenomenon. Called Jesus Christ. You say, well, wait a minute. What is it? What does that mean? Well, Jesus Christ was a phenomenon. <laughs> okay. Let's look at this. He was, correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you can't because I'm not wrong, I'm right, because I'm teaching truth. He was a remarkable thing that he did, his occurrences and things, and everyone everyone around could see these things happening. And he walked in the gate, and here's this guy that's been blind from birth. And Jesus bit in the clay and the mud and he made this little puddle of mud and then he took it and he put it on his eyes. So he anointed him and then he sent him and he sent him over to be washed. And he washed it off and then he could see. And then of course you had the Pharisees practicing their 
judgmentalism and their Phariseeism because their authority and he had done that and it was on the Sabbath day. And here's the thing, let me remind you again that that was a verbal rule that they made up. There is nothing in writing and nothing anywhere in the scripture. It tells you that you keep the, the holy day holy. Now is not healing somebody and taking something that they're in deep anguish for them, is that not keeping the holy day holy? And Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, did this very thing. And being that he is the word that was manifest holy as a man on this earth and was with God from the beginning, is in God and God in him, and he is the word of God, and the word is truth, and he came as a bread of life, and light to this world, and he did this miracle on the Sabbath day, one would think that, wait a second, he's performing these phenomenal things that are going on, these things that happen with him. We can see them. We can relate to them. But they didn't do that. Instead, what they did, oh, wait a minute. He is, oh, he is going completely against what we said to do. And he's not keeping the, the Sabbath day holy because we said on the, on the Sabbath day, you don't do anything. You shut yourself inside and you have a special meal and you don't go out and you don't do anything. Don't go outside and don't even pick a flower because that's labor. Don't rescue one of your animals that is in, that's been in heat and now is going to give birth to young foals or calves or whatever kind of animal it is and has fallen into this hole, possibly broken its leg. But don't go and rescue it. We're just going to leave it in there for overnight and a day, possibly die. And just like God tried to get them to understand, he goes, who amongst you who has any of these animals that have fallen into a pit and become injured is not going to get it out? knowing full well that they would do that very thing that they said that you don't do. But of course, they want to argue the point. They want to totally ignore what Jesus said, which they did all the time anyway. But these phenomenon, phenomena that Jesus pre- performed, was seen, and he was a phenomenon in himself because... Was it not extraordinary or even very impressive that he walked on the water? That when the boat left and he was still on shore and they were going and then the storm rose up in the sea and then when they looked out into the darkness and the flash of the lightning, they saw him walking on the water. Would that not be impressive or extraordinary? Well, hello, yes, it would be. And so much so that when he called, Peter said, oh, bid me come out there. I'll come out there. And he started walking on the water as well. Extraordinary in itself. And he got out there in the middle and he was doing fine until the waves mounted up and rolled underneath them and the lightning flashed. And then Peter started concentrating on that happening instead of on the Lord, and then he started sinking. What did Jesus do? He reached down, and he picked him up. Picked him up, shook him off, got the water off him, got him back to the boat, and said, oh, Peter, 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 Peter. And Jesus in and of himself was a phenomenon. Remarkable and extraordinary. 
He was a marvelous wonder. In his person, not just on the things that he did that could be seen and observed, but you could see and observe that Jesus himself, walking on water, healing the blind, making water into wine, which was the first observable, remarkable, exceptional event that took place that came from Jesus, from God the Father. Was at a wedding, invited to be a guest. They ran out of wine. Jesus' mom came to him and because of the compassion and love he had for his mother, of course. So why are you telling me this? It's not yet my time. But just looking into her eyes and having the compassion and love for her that he did, does. And they filled all the, the jars with water and Jesus prayed and it was all made into wine. Not just wine, but the best wine. Not just wine, the best wine. And just like the wedding master or what I, I don't know what they called the guy, but the head, whatever, praised it because <clears throat> as it was normal practice, they would save the best, Well, they would they would serve the best first so everybody would be impressed and then as people started drinking more and more and more then they were they weren't caring so much about the taste and the flavor so then they would bring out the cheap stuff but it was remarkable because this was all saved to the last and it was the absolute best so he praised that <clears throat> but that came from the vines of heaven that didn't come from Earthly vines. So brothers and sisters, we just need to be concentrating, as I'm saying on this, uh, on prayer, which is of import, and stop fussing about so many things that are not so important. And we need to focus on that phenomenon that Jesus had done and focus on that phenomenon of he himself. <clears throat> I share those words and I like that because I've heard the theological wizards of this day and age and people try to throw them around out there and they don't even share with individuals what they are and what they mean. They just throw them out there. But brothers and sisters, see and observe that not only am I going to share them with you, but I want you to know and understand what they mean. So pragmatism that we need to practice is being able to declare, evoke, and, and share that very thing in prayer and that that is a practical thing that we need to do when we are told to do it. And remember that the word of God, his truth, his knowledge, and his wisdom. And I remind you again of, of uh, Isaiah 30, 15, and 16, that we need to take that time, sit back and rest. And we are told many, many, many times that we need to take time to rest 
in the Lord. Isaiah tells us that, tells us in Psalms. And another way you remember is, I believe it's in Isaiah 41, 41, 10, 40, 10, one of those two. Um, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, walk and not faint. We are told that very thing. Ah, forty thirty one. But they that wait upon the Lord, it is. I I really need to to give you contextual reading because it's important to to see this. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord of Creator of the ends of the earth? fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding because we wouldn't be able to anyway. Isaiah is telling the nation and those individuals that consider themselves to be something that they're not, you can't do it. You can't figure it out. So stop it. Stop trying to figure out God with your finite mind. God is a mystery. The Bible tells us that. The mystery of the Lord God Almighty and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. It comes for us. Stop trying to figure it out and just believe and go. There's an old saying, and now it seems to be more practical than everything. Go with what you know. What I know is God is real. What I know is that God is grace and mercy and God is faithful. That's what I know. So I go with what I know. And that's what I know to be true. I don't need somebody to try to convince me of anything because I have seen the empirical evidence. I have seen and read the infallible truths of my Lord, my God. Remember what those means, words mean? Infallible. There is no, no margin for error. There is no error. The infallible truth is that God is faithful. God is true in all things. Empirical evidence I have seen time and time and time and time again that God has shown and done these things and it cannot be it can't be changed. I've seen it to be absolutely what it is and what he is. Further reading, 4029, he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increases their strength. In our weakness, he is strong. All the way back, and that where is that found? That's found in the New Testament. Paul writes about that. And where are we now? We're following the rule of faith, regula fidele. We're back over in the book of Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament. Huh. Is this not all interwoven? It is his gospel. Further reading in the verse 30: even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. Those that claim to be so powerful and strong. Verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is in Isaiah 40, 
28 through 31. So in our finite mind, what we do is we try to figure things out. We try to get everything done. And this, <laughs> when I got up this morning, the Holy Spirit, I opened, I started doing my reading. And the very first thing I had, is, and, and God talking to me, stop trying to work things out before their times have come. This stuff that is being dumped in here and and all, and I pray about it, but then here, see, the devil wants you to get caught up and stirred up in this stuff, and he wants you to be so agitated in it that you lose focus on God, which is what that white noise interference is all about, and what is that? The purpose for that is nothing more to separate you from God, to get you to stop focusing on God, but be aware that the enemy is real, and he's going to keep trying this. This is why I share about Satan. It's not to glorify Satan, and the act of sharing that is not glorifying Satan. So wrong for those individuals to say, oh, when you do that, you're glorifying Satan. No, I'm not, because I'm not glorifying him. I'm not saying all praise to Satan. No, I'm warning individuals and other believers that may not have the knowledge and may not have the strength to pick up that sword and swing it around, that he is real, that he's a really good tactician, and he's really good at that false narrative and that white noise interference, which in and of itself is exactly what that person was sharing, that white noise interference from Satan that, oh, don't share about Satan, don't tell people about Satan because that's glorifying him. And what that is, is that's a camouflage that they believe to be something that is not real. They're believing that if somebody's talking about Satan that they're glorifying him. No, that's not true. The truth is that Satan is real and he will come in just like Jesus talked about him. I've shared this with you before. Jesus, our Lord and King, shared about Satan and warned us against him when he was speaking and he said, hey, he's gonna come in, he's gonna scatter the sheep, he's gonna be like ravening a wolf. He's going to scare you away. And that's what he chooses to do. That's what he decided is his best tactic. And why? Because of our weak-mindedness. That's why it tells us to be of a like mind, a single-mindedness, and be involved in that truth. So those individuals that declare that I'm glorifying Satan because I talk about it, well, you're a fool and you need to get right with God and I pray for you. Yes, I do. I do. You're in my prayers every day. And that is the truth, the word of God. Satan is real. He's a good general and he camouflages and he gets them to believe that what they're saying is righteous. So stop trying to figure things out before their time has come. We need to accept the limitations that we have of living from day and day. Lay living from day to day. It's a hard thing to do, actually, and I find it very difficult. Sharing that with you straight up right now. Like I said, all the stuff that I have here, and I want to try to figure out to make it right, but I can't because why? I'm living in this broken world. I need to be on Social Security. I need to have my SSDI, and I need to have all this stuff done, and I, I can't do things that I used to do. But here's the other thing, and I've had I've had a, a dear friend of mine share with me, and I had my two brothers come to me, and at church, they kind of <laughs> it was very tactical because I had one on either side, but that's okay. 
They thought I was going to run away, but what they were already sharing is truth. And that's okay. They shared that because the Holy Spirit told them to come and reinforce that in me, but they didn't realize that he had already been talking to me, but it's true. I can't keep doing what I used to do. See, my position was that I used to do all this stuff. I used to be an instructor. I used to be a teacher. I used to be, you know, quite honestly, I was a leader of men. I had uh, at any time, and I, I've had to inform it, but I had anywhere from 150, even upwards to two and a quarter individuals that were being taught by me at any one time. And I did it by myself. I didn't have assistance. I didn't have others. And I had to make them, uh, in the military, you would say troop handlers. But I had to, I had to put them in that position, my class and my, but that's what I was doing. I was used to doing for somebody all the time. I was teaching them how to stay alive and keeping them alive. And, and that's what I used to do. So being in my position that I'm in now, it's very difficult. And I find it very difficult also to reach out. And this is why the, <laughs> this is why the Holy Spirit came and reminded me of this. And, Wait a second. When you come and you talk to me, and when you come and talk to you, the Lord, you have to let go. You have to open your hand and let the things go. And this is what I have to do. I have to do. And what they were reminding me is that that they are there for me and that if I need, that I come to them. I still find it hard to do. It is a difficult thing. But I have to pray through this. And, and brothers and sisters, that we are supposed to be one for another, pray for one another, lift up one another. And if you have the wherewithal and, and what I always used to tell them and, and my very dear friend would be in a jam and, and I said, look, if I have it, you will have it. If I can any way possible, I will. Just ask. And, and But they had the same issue. They had find it difficult to ask and I used to make them promise to ask me. And I had before and I would. If I had it, I'd, I'd share it. I'd give and I'd do it. Uh, can't do that now unfortunately, and it troubles my heart, but I have to let that go. So stop trying to work things out. You can't do it. And we have to learn, and here's a learning process, and the Bible talks about it, so it's not an instantaneous thing. It's not when you're saved, you snap of a finger by the Lord God Almighty, and it makes it happen because this world is broken and all these things around us. Accept the limitations of living one day at a time. And when something comes, we need to pray through it. Pray about it. Whether or not it's part of the agenda that God has set up for us. Because you remember, you, get, you, you have to remember something, brothers and sisters, that, that our Lord has walked this day before we even get up and start walking. That he's already been here. He knows what's coming. And we have to be aware and we need to pray through it. And when we pray through it, then he is with us and he walks with us all the time. And I'm looking for something here, and I forgot where it was. I had a marker. I thought I had a marker on it here. 
forgive me, brothers and sisters, I'm kind of running through. I forgot where it was. I had the marker here, but then I have forgot exactly what verse it was. I apologize. Oh, goodness gracious. I do this on occasion, and I, I do humbly apologize. Ah. Uh, my apologies, I can't find it. I had it marked, I thought I had it marked, and I believe I moved the marker so that it's not where I thought I put it. Ah, found it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> my apologies again. I I do that on occasion. My apologies for that. But we can actually find this in James. James. James 4 and 13. Go now to ye that say to day or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, buy and sell, and we make money, we do this, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is in your life, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So what the Lord is telling us and reminding us is that tomorrow is not promised, but yet we have this tendency to want to figure things out and to do and plan according to what we have thought and decided. And we have trouble releasing these things into God's hand. Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And that there in Ecclesiastes further talks about the proper procedures for everything. And we have to understand too that we might have misery in the things that weigh upon us and everything. We still don't know the future and what is to come. That it's not given to us. What we need to remember, reminded of this in John 16 is that we are given his peace. Jesus came when he came into that room, didn't knock. He was just there. He was right smack in the middle of the disciples. And Thomas was showed up this time. But he didn't realize that Jesus was there before. He said, well, yeah, well, until I can poke my finger in that hole that was stuck in his side and I, I can see those holes in his hands where he was nailed to the cross, I'm not going to believe Thomas and I, I have an opinion. I know that I have to pray through this, but I think Thomas was kind of a schmuck. Why was Thomas such a schmuck? Because we are all. We always want to figure stuff out with our mind. He was an intelligent guy. He was good in facts and figures and knowledge and things that were was aware of. But he always discounted things until it was proven to him. But here is the empirical evidence of Jesus the Lord, the thing that God tells us. We just need to be more pragmatic about that, be in prayer, be diligent about that for that practical purpose that God tells us about in his word. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers 
daily going out and coming in when I start my day and close my day. You're in my prayers.